One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids. Jay is six and Kenny is three. And I have three kids. Tony is 12 and Libby and Nate are nine. And they are so adorable, aren't they, Katie? That is generally true. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. I can go first. This time, my kids have been home from school for about a week now because there's a teacher strike where we live um, and we can't really plan fun things because we don't know like how long this is going to last so they've been doing lots of projects at home and they came up with this really cute thing they opened a bookstore in Nate's room of course and they've been making mystery boxes which they sell for the basement bargain price of 25 cents per mystery box and it's like a little folded up piece of paper tied with string hung from a banister in Nate's room And then you buy the mystery box, you unwrap the string, you unfold the paper, and then you get like a tiny little adorable cutout picture of a stuffed animal that they own. Oh, that is so enterprising. Um, I'm going to, this is a podcast, so can you see that? (laughs) Oh, so it's like a drawn image. I thought that they were like (laughs) printing out pictures. That is so cute. It's really adorable. (laughs) Um, and super fun to buy a mystery box. So maybe we'll open up up an Etsy shop if uh, the strike continues for a lot longer. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's so sweet. How about you? So, you know, when you have a baby, you very quickly become, like, pretty chill with, like, poop and vomit. Mm -hmm. So I realized that there are some things that I'm not chill with. Like, I thought I was, like, over being grossed out by pretty much anything. But Jay lost his second tooth recently. Mm. And the first one he lost at school, and it was, like, all new. But this time, he was all about it, and he was wiggling the heck out of that thing. And by the end, he would, like, open his mouth and be like, Mom, look how wiggly it is. And it would be, like, perpendicular to his the rest oh, of it. I just, I couldn't even look. I'm cringing. <laughs> I've had, oh, I can't deal. Like, I love my children, and I love everything they do and it has been a long time since there was ever a moment when I was like I can't look at you right now (laughs) (laughs) it came out thank goodness but that was only the second of many so I'm very quickly going to have to reconcile with this (laughs) what's the going rate for a tooth in your uh neck of the woods uh the tooth fairy has been sticking with a dollar which I recognize is um below the going rate but I feel fine with. Okay, nice. I feel like she read my mind. How about how about the <laughs> tooth fairy in your house? It's usually two dollars per tooth. Wow. Yeah. 
I was talking with my sister and like prices must be high in Dallas because the tooth fairy drops off five bucks for tooth. That's too much. Yeah. <laughs> What's she doing with those teeth? <laughs> um, so let's talk screen time in the news, but not yet. Yeah. Our screen time in the news article this week directly relates to the movie we are reviewing. So we're going to fold it into our main discussion instead of talking about it up front. Sounds good. Do you have good. any follow-up from our last episode or any general news about your screen time? This could more appropriately be placed in a lightning round episode, but because it's our spring break and we've been watching, you know, more screen time than we normally do, I just had to bring up this new show that Jay has been watching I posted about it on our socials, I think, a few weeks ago when I first heard that it was coming out. And I think it's just come out like within the past week or so, but it's called Making Fun. Have you heard of this show at all? I don't think so, no. Okay, so I can see where they thought it was a good idea conceptually because it kind of takes like your extreme building shows from HGTV that are like appealing Mm -hmm. and scales it to a kid audience. So the conceit is that like a kid says, I want you to build a giant nutcracker that can break anything with like swords for hands and uh, smoothies come out its nose and the <laughs> dudes that work in this workshop are like, okay, we'll build that. And then they put it together and show it to the kid. And it's ridiculous, but like fun to watch them build these totally impractical things. What is super weird about it? And I don't know if this was part of the DNA from the start or if it's just like COVID precautions. The kids are not there at any point. It is all done over video screen, which like fine if you're watching it like an HGTV show where like the making is the whole point. Right. That makes sense. But like if you're trying to satisfy this dream of a child and then like the denouement is like you showing it to them over a Zoom call, it just seems underwhelming yeah yeah the kids are pretty credibly expressing enthusiasm when these things are shown to them but I just couldn't get past that like extra barrier I don't know listeners if you've seen the show and you have any thoughts let me know there's a lot going on uh interesting concept I'm sure we'll be watching more to be honest (laughs) (laughs) all right should we jump into our main topic Let's do it. All right, listeners, we are super excited to be talking about Pixar's latest blockbuster, Turning Red. It's Pixar's latest release. It just came out on Disney Plus on March 11th. It is rated PG. It is one hour, 40 minutes long. It's directed by Domi Shi, who worked in animation on such Pixar hits as Inside Out, Toy Story 4, and Incredibles 2. But it will come as no surprise that she also directed the Pixar short Bow in 2018, which deals with a lot of the same themes that Turning Red does. So Domi Shi wrote the screenplay with the help of Julia Cho, 
We discussed this movie on a previous episode about the thorny issue of releasing features on streaming instead of in theaters. So this movie was originally scheduled to be released in theaters and was moved to streaming due to COVID concerns. It is set in Toronto in 2002. And the basic outline of the plot, which I feel like does not offer any spoilers, is that 13-year-old Maylin finds that she turns into a giant red panda when she experiences strong emotions. And she has to reconcile this new side of herself with the rule-following persona she adopts around her family. We picked it because we were just excited to see it, obviously. Yeah, I think like we like to keep our finger on the latest Pixar releases and the latest Disney releases. So <laughs> let's talk about if we liked it. Let's Should do we... that. Did you like the concept? Did you like the plot? I pretty much knew I was going to love this movie from the trailer. Mm-hmm. It had an adorable concept. The whole embodiment of the awkwardness of the teen and preteen years as like actually becoming some sort of monster was Mm -hmm. really immediately appealing to me how about you I liked it I went into it not really knowing much other than the girl turns into a red panda I didn't know it was gonna be about puberty (laughs) it felt very original and clever and heartwarming up by the end of it Mm -hmm. how do we like this compared to other recent Pixar releases um we watched Soul like around the same time last year and didn't love it yeah I don't know what it is about Pixar movies that always makes me have to like delve back into like the list of previous Pixar movies to (laughs) situate my feelings related to like a Pixar continuum or something but I look mm-hmm. back at the list of Pixar movies and I think it could just be me, but I tend to favor the ones that are in general about a child learning how to differentiate themselves from their families. And the ones that I've really loved recently have been Luca, which we did not do a review of, but I absolutely loved Coco mm-hmm brave finding nemo like those are the plots that tend to get me more so than i don't know the ones that are larger exploration of grief or of mortality like <laughs> those tend to be a grasp too far for me but mm-hmm. the the smaller family stories really get me how about you Yeah, I thought it was very relatable themes going on in this movie, but like the the vehicle that drove the themes felt very new. Mm -hmm. Like I hadn't seen anything like this before, even though it's a tale as old as time. Exactly. See, that is what I immediately felt like it excelled at because I was Mm -hmm. obviously thinking about our review of Soul and like everybody dies, right? It's a universal experience. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that did not hit for me as a universal tale. Puberty is also a universal experience. And this movie hit for me immediately, despite the fact that like so much was quite literally foreign about the plot. Like it takes place in Canada. Mm -hmm. 
in 2002, which I was a long way from being a preteen in 2002, I was old. (laughs) (laughs) And it obviously takes place in the frame of Mei Lin's Chinese Canadian, I almost said Chinese American, Chinese Canadian heritage. None of these things relate directly to my experience. And yet, I was still immediately able to say, yes, I relate to these feelings. Yeah, totally. So some people were not able to relate to it, which brings us to our screen time in the news discussion uh, for this episode. We read an NPR article published on March 12th by Deepa Shivaram with the headline, Turning Red is a Turning Point for Asians in Film. Why is it seen as unrelatable? And Shivaram covers... The reaction to a review published on Cinema Blend by managing director Sean O'Connell, who referred to the film as limiting. And the review, the Sean O'Connell review on Cinema, Cinema, Blend, Cinema Blend has sparked so much backlash that it's been taken down and O'Connell has apologized. Uh, the review was particularly toned off for Piff. Pixar's first solo female-directed film and Asian-directed film. O'Connell just really didn't like this movie. I think he probably was like, periods? Gross. And tuned out. Yeah. The best quotation from this article is she, the director, in response to Sean O'Connell's critique calling the film exhausting, uh, said, was his puberty not exhausting? Lucky man. (laughs) This was just so... Okay. So when this movie first came out, the first thing that Kevin said to me before seeing it was, oh, you mean the period movie? (laughs) (laughs) And obviously you can see how there are parallels. I mean, it's a mistake that Malin's mother makes when she first turns into the red panda is she thinks that Malin is getting her period and that is the big disrupting event in her life. But it's, it obviously doesn't turn out to be that. And like the farther we got into the movie, the more it became clear that like we're talking about emotions and big mm-hmm. feelings. And it got away from just a straight up period. It is, is it a metaphor? I think so. I mean, that was a funny gag. I mean, because Mamie is having like a freak out in the bathroom of her family home. And so... The mom comes in with like supplies she's been stockpiling. <laughs> um, and that was just like a cute, funny scene. I thought it wasn't, there's nothing like gross or limiting about this. I didn't think. Yeah. Kind of side note, but like we should be less uncomfortable about periods as a society. It would be nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it affects so many of us, you guys. Yeah. 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 I feel like there was that, wasn't there like a documentary that won an Oscar and it was about providing like menstruation products to like girls in, I kind of hate the term developing countries, but that's what it was. Right. Right. I think that like they, when that came out, they talked about like the stigma of it. So maybe we're making a little bit of progress, but not not for Sean O'Connell of Cinema Blend. (laughs) Oh, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) but the interesting thing about this npr article despite the fact that like there's this whole issue of like ew periods gross but then the npr article goes 
into much more detail about the fact that it's an Asian-centered story, and that was further unrelatable to Mr. O'Connell, which I yeah, I just don't get. Like, it could have I know. been anyone. I know. It made me think about, like, the old movies from our youth, like Stand By Me, where it's like the club of, you know, three or four friends who are really in it to like try to do something or like Goonies or even um, what's the one with the upside down? Stranger Things. Yeah, Stranger Things. Like that's classic. And this uses that formula too. Like these young girls are trying to get money to get concert tickets that they know their parents aren't going to let them go to. Like that's just a classic plot line. And not for nothing, but all these examples you are bringing up are stories about young boys. And hello, I don't know if you've noticed, but we are two women and we (laughs) could relate to these stories about young boys finding their identities. It was not a stretch. Right. Do you want to talk about the cast and the characters? Was there anybody that you particularly loved or hated? I have to say that Sandra Oh was the only voice actor that I recognized. And I did not recognize her voice while watching the show. Like it wasn't until I looked it up later. I think just because she hasn't been on my mind because I haven't been watching Killing Eve and I didn't watch The Chair. So like she's just not top of mind for me right now. Well, also, she's not an actor that I really think of as playing mom roles. Yeah. Even though in the chair she plays, like, that's a big part of that character's identity. But the character is always struggling because she thinks she's really bad at being a mom. Mm-hmm. I I did recognize her voice, but was kind of surprised. Because I also, she's like older than us, I think. But I I don't know. I think of her playing Christina Dr. Yang. Christina Yang. Yeah. <laughs> She will be youthful forever. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny because we reviewed Over the Moon earlier this year, and she also played a mom in that. And it shouldn't be like outside of what I associate with her, but (laughs) there you go. (laughs) I didn't recognize the names of any of the other actors, but I did. I really liked the four girls. Mm -hmm. And I really liked, was it Abby who plays like... The short one with the eyebrows, <laughs> the mischievous eyebrows. She and was really fun. She gets really worked up about things. <laughs> <laughs> and I know everything I'm saying is just going to be a reiteration of this. And it sounds silly to say, but I just really loved Maymay as a character. I loved how she has this sense of self-confidence. She knows who she is. But she very strictly works within the boundaries of like what's expected of her at school versus what's expected of her at home. And she doesn't seem troubled by that. Like she is, at least until she, I'm talking about the beginning of the movie before Mm -hmm. she has her panda transformation. Like she already has a pretty firm grasp on who she is. And I found that really appealing. Right, right. How did you feel about the setting in 2002? Did it really take you back to your early college years? Honestly, I thought this is maybe my age showing, but I just thought it was like sort of a universal time period. I didn't realize I watched the ending 
two times. Um, I didn't realize that it was 2002. I just thought boy bands were like a universal thing. That's always around for 12 year old, 13 year old girls to obsess about. See, I think you're forgetting that there was like a long, dark period of the soul in which boy bands were not a thing because they were very big in the early 2000s. And -hmm. then with the arrival of K-pop on American shores, like they are big again now. But there was a big Mm -hmm. chunk of time, I feel like, where they were not the thing. Very much not the thing. That's true. Well, I watched like the whole thing and didn't realize it was like a particular time setting. So I feel kind of silly about that. But I did like it, but it's like sort of a in sync style, Backstreet Boys style band that uh-huh. is the concert that the girls want to go to. And um, that was really fun. I thought there were several wonderful period specific choices made. Like this was just a small beat, like when May May first accidentally turns into a panda at school, like there's a girl in the bathroom that like sees her who is wearing Ugg boots. Oh, I didn't notice that. A very 2002 moment. And then May May yeah. very deliberately has like two slim parallel bobby pins holding back her hair. And I was like, yes, the plain parallel bobby pins. <laughs> that felt very 2002 to me as well. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up on any of the anime influenced animation choices a little bit so when the characters especially in the concert scene when like the boy band starts performing the girls and like other people in the audience like have this anime reaction where their eyes get like giant and uh tear-filled when they're just like fawning over the boys and that was really funny like they're having like this out-of-body ecstatic experience Uh (laughs) that was a funny way to show it I was actually really glad that I've been watching a fair amount of Pokemon with my kids Mm. because I don't really have any other associations with anime I don't watch a ton of it and I think if you had just dropped me into this movie without that background I might I might have been put off by it, but I've mm. I've gotten used to like the emotional shorthand as seen through animation shortcuts. Sure. Which I feel like we talked about this a little bit with Hotel Transfermania, like the preoccupation that modern animated movies, particularly from Disney and from Pixar, have with realism. Mm-hmm. has kind of like seeped into our collective souls as like mm-hmm. what we should expect from an animated movie. And I think had I not been primed by watching a little bit of anime in Pokemon, I would have had issues with like the sudden appearance of those big watery eyes or like the sudden like stylized movements meant to convey excitement or something. Oh, yeah. So there's a sequence when um, all the aunties transform. And my kids who watch, oh, they watch this show called Naruto. Mm -hmm. And they were talking, like, they broke it down for me, like, which characters were doing, like, stuff they've seen in Naruto. Uh And so that they were definitely schooling me on uh, the anime influence in this movie. 
I love that it was there. It again reminded me a little bit of the mixing of media that we saw in a movie like Mitchell's versus the machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think about the music? Was the fake boy band music real for you? It felt good. It felt right. How about you? It felt I like I the um the song that they sing to like transform the mom at the end. I'm pretty sure it's a ripoff of Everybody by Backstreet Boys because mm-hmm. I played that after I watched it and like it's not exactly the same melody but it's very close. I saw that Billie Eilish had like writing credits on the music. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um so that was interesting. Can I the... make one small quibble with the presence of the lyric tummy? That was weird. And Nate kept saying, because I watched this with my kids, every time that lyric would show up, Nate was like, I just don't get it. Yes, Nate, (laughs) I'm with you. Because the phrase is like, no one turns my tummy like you, as if that's a good thing. But when I hear the phrase turns my tummy, I think somebody is going to barf. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How about the rest of the writing? I liked the dialogue a lot I thought it felt very like it kept driving the plot forward and like the exchanges between Maymay and her mom were um so fraught that they felt real to me like a real pre-adolescent would be having with their mom who's having a hard time that they're growing up the Pixar movie that it made me think of most directly was Brave do you remember that one um yeah it's been a long time since I've watched it though yeah yeah yeah. me too because I didn't really care for it but that was the last Pixar movie that I felt like was very centered on the mother-daughter relationship I found this one to be way more relatable than (laughs) Brave in which yeah Merida's mother turns into a bear yeah But I just think the whole managing of expectations, the whole deciding who you're going to be and who you're going to prioritize. Is it going to be your family or is it going to be your friends? Where do you stand in all that? I just, again, I can't say it enough. I found it to be extremely, extremely relatable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you think about the length? It did not feel long to me, possibly just because I was enjoying it. How about you? Yeah, it felt good. It didn't drag. One hour, 40 minutes is acceptable for a kid's movie, I think. Agreed. Any other general thoughts about this particular movie? I should have brought it up in our discussion of the animation, but the one small animation quibble I had is that, spoiler alert, when Mm -hmm. Mei mother lets her giant panda out, Mm -hmm. she has mom hair. Oh, funny. Yeah. She does. Yeah, I can picture it now. And I was like, well, if this panda is supposed to represent like your adolescent id, or is it id? <laughs> like your adolescent self. Yeah. Why does the panda have mom hair? That was the <laughs> the one small animation choice that I questioned. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Were you able to compare this to any TV show or movie for grownups? Okay, there was a movie that I watched when I was a kid. It came out in the 80s called Nice Girls Don't Explode. I've never heard of this. I know. 
it was a really obscure film so it's about this teenage girl who whenever she like feels any sort of like sexual desire towards somebody something around her spontaneously combusts oh and so she thinks that she's got to keep like her hormonal urges under wraps otherwise her surroundings are gonna start on fire um there's also a kevin wilson book with a very similar plot and it turns out that the mom has been planting like little explosive bombs (laughs) and setting them off in an attempt to like control the daughter's like sexuality it's such a weird movie i saw it multiple times when i was a kid i don't know if it was like a rerun on cable or something that i watched when i was homesick but this movie made me think about it because it's very much like the mom is trying to like tamp down the the girl's like maturation and she's like no i'm gonna dance like Miley Cyrus if I want to there was a very funny line where she's like I'm I like to gyrate (laughs) so it reminded me of that story oh listeners if anyone else has ever seen this movie I've brought it up to like multiple people in my life nobody else has ever even heard of it I am fascinated by its existence (laughs) were you able to compare turning red to any adult movies or shows I have a side question for you before I answer this. Mm -hmm. If you had a history of passing down the transformation into a giant red panda through the female line in your family Mm -hmm. and your 13-year-old daughter was freaking out about something, would your first thought be, oh, I wonder if she's gotten her period? Um. Or would your first thought be maybe she has abruptly metamorphosed into another animal? I know. I think the mom is like strongly, strongly in denial. Yeah, about that's, what's true. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Grown up movie or TV show. So sometimes I do this thing where I compare something we're reviewing to a movie or TV show that I've not actually seen. Mm-hmm. And I am going to do that now. Uh, <laughs> so a while ago, I want to say maybe 2016, there was this, or maybe 2018, there was this Anne Hathaway movie that came out. Where, like, she was a human woman, but she was also a kaiju monster that was destroying the city of Seoul. Okay. And it was called Colossal. And I remember coming out and getting, like, good reviews and being interested in it. But I think, like, perhaps I was pregnant with Kenny and, like, I had a three-year-old and, like, I just never made it to the movie. But uh, it seems like a really similar sort of premise, like... On the one hand, she's like a young woman dealing with her own issues. And on the other hand, she is also a giant monster. <laughs> I'm still somewhat interested in seeing it. And I am grateful to Turning Red for reminding me that it existed. Nice. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? I didn't get super far, but I would keep Sandra O because obviously she's the best we've got. Um, I would cast John Cho as the dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would cast the young girl Matilda Lawler from Station Eleven. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe she seems like she's maybe the right age. Maybe she's a little young. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm bad at judging kids' ages, despite the fact that I have children of my own. Yeah, same. How about you? Who are you able to cast? All right. So puberty is obviously a time of like heightened emotion, right? 
mm-hmm. that's what we're exploring and turning red. So like, what is another time in a woman's life in which her emotions are heightened? Menopause? Oh, I thought of menopause. But oh. then I took it back a step. Pregnancy. Pregnancy? Okay. Yes. So I thought like, what if we fast forwarded in time? And Maymay is dealing with pregnancy and childbirth in this situation. Particularly if you're trying to like have a baby and also hide the fact that you're morphing into a giant red panda <laughs> from like the nursing staff and the doctor that is present yeah. in the hospital. So I just cast Maymay and her slightly hapless husband. I thought who is suited to play a gritty HBO version of a woman giving birth and it would obviously be Ali Wong. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. And then of course her husband would be played by John Cho. So that's a John Cho twofer in this episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was better when we were kids? No. I think this is um something that is delightfully new and good for the canon of cinema that kids can watch. Can you think of a movie, a kid's movie from when we were young that was kind of like, so you're a woman now? <laughs> like, can you think of one that like dealt with that or like gave you a similar grounding and like, well, you're going through some changes? Gosh, this is older than when we were kids, but that Britney Spears Crossroads movie. <laughs> okay. I'm not a girl. <laughs> not yet a woman. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's right there in the song lyrics. Weirdly, the one that I remember from growing up is there were later versions of this movie, obviously, but when I was young, it was like a Hallmark original TV movie, but a version mm-hmm. of The Secret Garden. You know how Mary goes into the story of the secret garden, a child, and she comes out the other end, a woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was like my primary, like transitional film growing up. I think this is better. But that one was probably pretty good. I loved the secret garden. Mm -hmm. Still a great story. Yeah. For as much as I loved that movie growing up, I am terrible at growing things. I have two black thumbs, two of them. And I live in Florida where like everything grows. (laughs) (laughs) Would you ever watch Turning Red alone voluntarily? No, but that's because my kids really liked it. So I think if we watch it again, they'll definitely be on board. Yeah. I didn't even ask, did your kids like it? Yeah, I was going to say this is a really nice transition into whether or not this is good for our kids. Because I feel like your kids are kind of perfect age. Mm-hmm. And mine are a little young, but it goes back to the the question of relatability because I felt like even with Kenny, he is not aware of like the transition of puberty as a thing. But mm-hmm. like a kid turning into a giant red panda is something everyone can get behind. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I feel like there was something there for him, even if the overarching plot didn't matter. Yeah. I do think they were probably a little on the young side, perhaps because it had so many anime elements. I didn't think there was anything that was particularly scary, even compared to like your average Disney movie where there's even the confrontation with the big bad, which in this Mm -hmm. case is Maymay versus her mother. It was not overtly scary for either of my kids. Good, 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 good. At three and six. 
What did Tony think being on the like older range? He liked it. He wasn't into it the first time we watched it, but then Libby and Nate told him it was really good. So he watched it the second time. Oh, I like that they have some influence over his opinions. A little bit. I mean, sometimes I think it's just he wants to watch more mature stuff, which he's he's 12. I get it. Yeah. Ratings? Well, I would give it a four and a half. How about you? I would give it a five. I never rate things higher than you. I really liked this movie. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. Find us on all the social media channels. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we're on Gmail. We're not on TikTok. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me, Deborah, and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye.